The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. Here we go. Fourth and eight. Coulter under pressure. Coulter on a keeper. Coulter wrapped up and brought down by Trinka Passat. And the Hawkeyes win it in overtime. here at Kinnick Stadium for Kirk Ferentz and the Iowa Hawkeyes. They improved to 5-3 and three and 2-2 two and two in conference play with this big victory here at home. Hello, everyone. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeyes Mike. We have the second of our two weekly Reporters Notebook segments in this podcast. This show features Mark Morehouse, who looks ahead at the Hawks' home game against the Wisconsin Badgers in the renewed battle for the Heartland Trophy. You'll also hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and Wisconsin's Gary Anderson. This Hawkeyes Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs, which include Marv Cook and Brent Balbinot, as well as sports reporters. Scott Docterman of the Gazette, the Hawkeye Susan Dank, and Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times. Be sure to check out Marv Cook's X's and O's show and our other Reporters Notebook podcast this week, which features Steve Batterson. The Iowa Northwestern game highlights are courtesy of the Big Ten Network with announcers Matt Devlin and Glenn Mason. We appreciate it and thank them. Hawkeyes Mike football programs come to you following every game during the entire season and are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes and remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group in Coralville, Iowa. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. Time now to hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First up, Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz, who talks about the Wisconsin Badgers under new head coach Gary Anderson. Yeah, we haven't played in a couple of years, so there's been a gap. We, you know, we've been able to watch each other on film, I think, and uh, certainly the coaching change. So, yeah, offensively, they, they look very similar. Uh, not identical, but very similar to what they've been, been doing, and for good reason. And then defensively, they did uh, make a wholesale change there. And, uh, it's a very different team. They're a 34 team, which is unusual. And college football. They play very well. I mean, they, they the bottom line is both sides of the ball and their special teams are really well coached. They play hard. They're very disciplined as a football team, and I think that's been characteristic of their teams there for quite some time. And then if you go back and look at Utah State film, uh, you see the same thing. I mean, they, those guys, uh, you know, it's interesting. They played at Wisconsin last September, I believe it was. Yeah, it was a heck of a football game with two very, very good football teams playing, two very well coached teams playing against each other, and it's, it's kind of ironic now that Coach Anderson's there coaching on on the other sideline, but uh, boy, they're very, very well coached. Ference was asked if he's comforted by the fact that his linebacking core is very good in anticipation of trying to slow down a terrific Wisconsin running game. It's, it's nice having three seniors that are good players, for sure, against any attack. And last week, they had to be very active and involved. And uh, now Chris will, will play actually play nearer the ball, you know, closer to the football this week for, for not the whole game, but a lot of the game, which, you know, he's, he's more of a DB a lot of times. So it's, it's a very different style for us. 
us, that's going to be a big transition for us on both sides of the football. These guys are very different than the offensive teams we've played the last couple of weeks and then very different defensively too, obviously, with the 34 scheme. But having three good linebackers is great. And, you know, they've got some pretty good linebackers too, which I'm sure they feel good about. Ferentz was asked if more passing is an answer to his team's second-half offensive woes. No, I, I don't think so. I mean, I haven't looked at statistics that way, but I figured that was on the agenda somewhere. I, I, I'll give you a parallel in my mind. Like, you know, how, how do you explain us having 11 penalties in, in our second ball game? I think it was. Pretty sure it was. And, you know, we had three the other day. You know, and I, I promise you, we have not done any drills on penalties, and we don't do up-downs or laps uh, when guys get them. Some people do, and some people find that effective. I don't know. But to me, it's concentration. It's a mental thing. You know, we had no false starts up at uh, Columbus, and that's a tough place for, for an offensive team to play. So I, I think it's just a matter of, you know, you got to concentrate your way through things. And uh, I know it's a fact that we've, we've been leading every game at halftime, and, and it's obviously a fact that we haven't won every game. So somehow, some way, you just have to concentrate better. And you know, I think the solution is in concentration execution than it is doing up-downs or laps, that type of thing. Ference talks about Jake Rudock's overtime play versus Northwestern and how that might carry over. I think everything a player does that's it's on the on the positive side, yeah, it sure, sure helps with everybody because there's, you know, just like guys that, that uh, you know, aren't prepared or didn't know what to do in a situation, that causes some doubt. You know, you always try to give people benefit of the doubt. Hey, they're, you know, maybe inexperienced or they weren't quite prepared for that and then you hope they grow from those things. But, you know, Jake, Jake's, you know, I mean, we all know quarterback's a different position and everything you do is scrutinized more so than other positions. So, yeah, when you come through and make a play like that, which he did, that was a, you know, football's a team thing, but basically on that one, that was him making a great effort. He, he knew where the, the problems were going to come from, you know, acknowledged that, and then had faith in CJ to get where he had to get. So it was really two guys that hooked up, and I'm not saying the other guys didn't do their jobs, but, you know, two guys going above and beyond maybe to make that happen. And we've had a lot of those that don't work out, so it was certainly good to see it. See us connect on that. That was, that was a really good thing. But the thing that's impressed me about him, again, he responds from bad things, quote-unquote bad things, and then also uh, he does have really good awareness out there. You know, he hasn't played all that much, but to have that awareness, he, he knew what was going on on that play all the way. And Kirk provides his assessment of Badgers QB Joel Stave. Guy who's done a very nice job. You know, he uh, they're built differently than some of the teams we've played. You know, two weeks ago we played a, a team that had a quarterback and a running back, and everything was revolved around them. Not that other guys weren't really good players, and they were. I mean, they've got an excellent surrounding cast. Uh, obviously, last week the quarterback was a big focal point. This team's a little different in that they've got outstanding running backs, and the running backs come from all different angles. They've got, again, as I said, I think one of the best receivers uh, maybe in the country on their football team. Yeah, ball didn't get there by accident. And I missed this. Their quarterback's done a wonderful job, I think, of uh, making them go. And it's sometimes people take it for granted, but, uh, you know, we're not. He, he's a really good football player, and he's a winner just like the guy we, the last couple guys we played against. <laughs> Next, we hear from Wisconsin head coach Gary Anderson, who was asked if he has experience with trophy games. I absolutely do. Uh, experience for me was fought like crazy against BYU at Utah State for the old wagon wheel, and uh, that was part of it. And the beehive boot was something that uh, you know Utah and BYU competed for when I was at, uh, at Utah. As time went on, we were fortunate enough at Utah State to get involved in the mix with the beehive boot and actually have it in our possession for a couple years. So it means a lot to the kids. 
kids, and it's a it's a big part of college football. It's something that has a little bit more of an edge to the game for the players, for the fans, and also for the coaches. So it's uh, it's fun to be involved in in those games. Anderson talks about the play of his outstanding running back Melvin Gordon, who at one time had committed to play for the Hawkeyes. You know, Melvin's productivity is off the charts, which we all know. Uh, but past that, his ability to be unselfish and stay in the moment, prepare each week, be just steady Eddie, which we uh, challenge the team week in and week out to do, is incredible for Melvin. And it's impressive the way he handles the success that he's had. I've never heard Melvin say, you know, it's about me or I'm doing this. With Melvin, it's about his offensive line. It's about his tight ends, his fullback, quarterback involved. He gives James just as much credit as, as uh, in fact, more credit than he gives himself by far. So that's a, it's a tremendous trait. Uh, how good is Melvin? How When did I think Melvin was a good player? You know, when I watched film last year, if you watched him in the, the championship game a year ago, you saw a kid with incredible talent, did some special things, and we saw glimpses of him in spring ball. He obviously had the injury in spring and was out for some of it, but uh, he continues to amaze me basically week in and week out. And the last thing I would say is the way Melvin practices. If you come out and you watch our practice, you watch how the running backs all practice. It's incredible. A lot of that credit goes to Coach Hammock and the way he pushes those kids, but the kids buy into the hard coaching. They buy into the demands that he puts on them because they know it uh, it, it uh, produces on the field if they, they listen and they have the talent. Anderson was asked for his assessment of Iowa's running backs, Mark Weissman and Damon Bullock. They're tough physical backs. Uh, they like contact. That's one of the first things that you see when you, you watch them when they get to the next level. You know, a defender, it's not just going to be, okay, it's time for you to tackle me. It's time to, you know, you got to own the right. You're going to be either deserving of making a tackle or, or deserving of not making a tackle because they're going to force you to, to make a play, whether it's the open field or whether it's in, a, in, in close quarters, but with punishing runs. And they consistently have done that. I think they sink their pads well. They're productive. Best way to sum them up, they're kind of those running backs where you look at, and I think our guys are like that too. When you think they get four or five yards, sometimes you know you hop up and they usually get seven or eight or nine, and you think they get one or two, it seems like they get three or four. That's exactly what Iowa's backs have done. And and they have a tremendous supporting cast also with the, the tight ends. I know the quarterback's highly involved in the check game, just as Joel is for us. And the uh, the offensive line is uh, you know very powerful and big kids that know where they're going. Gary Anderson was asked about reigniting the Iowa-Wisconsin rivalry. Well, I think our kids are very excited about the opportunity. I know we are. The, the past, just listening to them, going into the stadium, listening to Coach Alvarez talk about past games that he had when he was obviously the head coach and, and the, the battles that uh, they had in the past with Iowa. So it goes way back. A lot of our kids have, have played against Iowa. It's been a couple years since they have, but it's been a, it's gone back and forth and been very physical, and I expect nothing different. So our kids uh, have great respect for Iowa. I'm sure Iowa's in the same boat, and they know that uh, they're going to have to put their best foot forward to have a chance to win on both sides. And Anderson talks about Iowa's defense and its linebacking group. Any good defense, any good linebacker starts up front. I'm very impressed with the way the front guys play, but if we just single out the linebackers and, and talk about them, they're in command of the defense. They do a nice job of directing traffic, and you can see that on tape, and their knowledge of the game is very good. So that means they're coach good, and that means that they're taking the coaching, and they're they're very talented athletes. They're sudden tacklers. When they have the opportunity to be involved in plays, they're there. You, know, you rarely see them get out-athleted. You rarely see them miss a tackle in, in positions when they have the great opportunity to do it. Very solid as far as their zone drops go within their defense. So they're, they're stout, solid, tough linebackers who carry themselves with the presence of like in football and like physical they like physical football and, and they're smart they, they make very good decisions it's first and 25 322 to go Coulter on the pitch Trumpy fumble Hawkeyes come up with it Desmond King the true freshman from Detroit 
Northwestern over the last two games. Turnovers have been the story. King, his second career fumble recovery, and the Hawkeye defense comes up huge here late. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on. Up to 10 washings. Moisturizes. Alcohol-free. And safe for the kids. So go ahead. Touch anything and everything. Ew, a toilet. Prefins. Keep your hands germ-free all day. Time now for the second of our two weekly reporters' notebook shows, this one with Mark Morehouse, subbing for Scott Docterman, who's in Chicago covering Big Ten Basketball Media Day. You can read Mark's articles in the Gazette and online at gazette.com. You can follow Mark on Twitter at Mark Morehouse. Mark looks ahead at the Wisconsin game and more. Mark, we appreciate you stepping in for Scott Docterman, your colleague at the Gazette this week, to focus on the Wisconsin game. Before we turn there, though, any closing thoughts on Iowa's overtime win over the Wildcats? Yeah, uh, the second half thingy starts, is it, is it, I don't know, I think it's kind of embedded now, and I think it's going to take Iowa a little, uh, a huge, maybe not a huge turn on the second half, but I think Iowa needs to score at least 14 points Saturday in the second half in the fourth quarter, maybe, kind of pull this out. It's a team that, I don't want to say it's fading, but it's a team that, uh, you know, is averaging, against FPS teams, is averaging 2.9 points in the fourth quarter. That's not going to get it done. Wisconsin now comes into Kinnick Stadium after a couple of years off because of Big Ten realignment. Iowa sits at 5-3 and three overall, 2-2 two and two in the big. Wisconsin is 5-2, uh, 3-1. Both teams lost at Ohio State. Both teams beat Northwestern at home. It's the blackout game, and one interesting little side note on this one, whoever wins becomes bowl eligible. Yeah, and for Iowa, that's, I don't think enough people are giving Iowa credit for being in that position because last year was 4-8, and eight, and not a lot of people could see bowl this year. I, I picked 6-6, six and six, so at least a bowl. You know, I think maybe Maybe the bigger headline is that, you know, if I will win Saturday, is, is it is it back? You know, has it arrived? Is it to the point now maybe where it can compete for championships in the upcoming Western Division of the Big Ten, which, you know, will throw Illinois in, you know, it'll be Iowa, Nebraska, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Northwestern, and Illinois, and then Purdue for life or until the next round of Big Ten expansion. So I think has, will this, if, it, if I will win this game, the bigger headline really is, is it a player now in the, in the legend? slash Western Division. We'll see. And that's an awfully big step to make. It's the battle for the Heartland Trophy, and this is the most even series in the Big Ten, 42-42-2. To your last point, though, do we really know who this Iowa team is yet? It's, it's eight games in. It seems weird to say that, but I, I don't even know how to make a prediction on this team. Yeah, you don't know what's going to work. One week something works, the next week it doesn't. Uh, Mark Weissman, 30 carries, or 28 carries a game for the first five games. Teams in single digits the last three games, so He's really either part of the equation. I think you could say a lot of players are a part of the equation. They all add up to five and three, but how do they get to five and three? I mean, it's, it's a good question. Right now, I think if you look at if you just kind of strip things down, the offense is kind of a catch is as catch can, and whatever works, they try to tap as much as they can until you know defenses wise up. I think at Penn or at Ohio State, they started to slant, and Iowa tried to run the boundary. I think Ohio State tried to slant, tried to slant this defense there, kind of cut uh, the running game's legs out from under. 
different. Uh, it started to play. Uh, it, it basically took the passing game out until the play action kind of was gone, which is something they were burning Ohio State on. And then last week, uh, Northwestern kind of scooched its linebackers up maybe a yard or two, and I was never be able, able to get any consistency in the running game in the second half. And the passing game, it was you know it was okay. It was there. Uh, I think the biggest play of the game was the first down completion in overtime to Devon Smith. That really kind of jump-started everything. But yeah, the offense, it's just a whole bunch of oars in the water. I think you strip everything down. The defense is playing really, really well. And I think the defense is becoming the, the identity of this team. I mean, they, they are tough to score against. They're, they're, they'll give up the big play, but usually they're pretty good at tightening up after that. Even at Ohio State, they gave up the 58-yarder. There was a big run after that with Carlos Hyde. Carlos Hyde is a fantastic player. He's going to do that to a lot of Big Ten teams. But yeah, I think the defense is, I think defense and James Morris and Anthony Hitchens and Christian Kirksey are quickly becoming the most reliable part of this team. Rudak is reliable. The offense, it seems like uh, some of the oars aren't always in the boat sometimes. Wisconsin's one of the most talented teams in the Big Ten and the FBS for that matter. They have a new head coach in Gary Anderson running a very similar offense as they have done in the past, but the, he's instituted a 3-4 defense. They're also coming off of a bye week, and in the, the last six times they've done that, they've just overwhelmed their opponents in those games. And this is another one of these games where Iowa and its opponents, a tough matchup in many cases of strengths versus strengths. Yeah, and that's exactly what it is. I think if Iowa wants to hang in this game, it's going to have to limit Wisconsin. Wisconsin's probably going to have a few 20-plus yard rushes. If it has, if it has five, uh, the game is over. Uh, Iowa has to, those are probably touchdowns eventually, and Iowa has to limit the big rushing play. Uh, if it does that, then it has. I think it's, it'll be able to maybe not totally contain Jared Abaderas, but it'll be able to at least make him, you know, make him uh, have to force Joel Stave to have to go to him. And when you have to go to a guy and have to hit a guy, it's off. It's a, it's much harder. So uh, I think kind of limit the big plays in the running game for Iowa. And then uh, I think strength on strength. I think Iowa offensively has to get some running game going. I mean, it's kind of the base operations of everything. And Wisconsin is fantastic in the run defense. I mean, it's number one in the Big Ten, 88 yards a game. Or number two in the Big Ten, one or two. It's right there with Ohio State and Michigan State. And we both know that, that was, those are pretty terrific run defenses. Six of the front seven are seniors. Oh, Allen is 333 pounds and can move. Chris Borland, he's kind of interesting. He's To me, he's the most interesting football player in the Big Ten. Does so much for his team. He was going to be kicker. A long distance, 45 yards and out kicker. But he kind of hurt his hamstring at Illinois, and, and they're up to today to try to test. They're going to let him test it out today, see how he does. Sounds like he's creeping up to maybe a game-time decision, but uh, who knows with his game and the Big Ten and who's what and where and all that kind of stuff. So um, he, would be a, he would be a key cog miss, but I think Wisconsin, you know, front seven-wise, strong, probably the strongest, strongest overall, maybe the biggest Iowa's faced all year. Wisconsin's O-line, 6'5", 0.8 inches, and 321 pounds per man. So, you know, just by getting out of the three-point stance, they're occupying space that Iowa players will need to occupy. I, I think it's, uh, yeah, strength on strength, exactly what you said, and, and uh, those games are usually fun to watch. Now, uh, if you had to look at each of both teams, which team is more capable of the big play, I think you clearly have to say Wisconsin. Lots of interesting stats in this game. You don't want to get too bogged down out of them, but Wisconsin's third in the big and 11th nationally in total offense. At 513.6 yards a game, they've only been held below 400 yards once, and that was at Ohio State, and they had 399 in that one. Now, certainly key cogs in their whole offensive scheme are their running backs, Melvin Gordon and James White. They're both terrific. Any team would take them. They both have outstanding stats. They're dangerous 
dangerous up the middle, and they're great on their famous jet sweeps. Yeah, they, uh, they're fun to watch, actually, the way they run things. And, you know, I, I have to give Gary Anderson credit. I mean, you know, all coaches are sort of type A guys who, you know, masters and commanders out there in the oceans and uh, gather their crew and push them all in the right direction, yada, yada, yada. He's running Barry Alvarez's offense that they've pretty much run the, you know, for the last 20 to however many years at Wisconsin. And it takes a coach who knows, you know, has a strong sense of self to be able to come in and have his athletic director basically on this, on the, and when the day he was hired, say, yeah, you, you know, that, that spread offense you guys had out there at Utah State, that was real nice and everything, but this is going to be an offensive line-driven team. This is the type of players that Wisconsin can recruit, and this is the type of offense Wisconsin can sustain. This is what, I, what Wisconsin's offense is going to be, and uh, I think it takes a strong coach to kind of, kind of, yeah, okay, sure, that sounds good, let's do that then. And you, you really can't argue. I mean, Melvin Gordon, almost to Iowa. Well, I don't know if he was ever that close to Iowa. When a guy commits anymore, I think he's sort of saving a spot and he's hoping for something better to come along, and uh, I'm pretty sure Wisconsin had offered, so, yeah, you know, whatever whatever happened, happened. And Gordon is, he's probably, I'd say, I don't, I don't want to say too much, but I think Carlos Hyde showed me, at least, you know, live there at Ohio State, that he showed me some real explosion. So putting them to get side-by-side, side, I have to think Gordon is faster, but uh, I wouldn't say burst-wise. I mean, burst-wise are probably pretty close. That's how Gordon gets his business done. He has great bursts, and he's, you know, he's a sizable guy himself, 6'1", 207. James White, full smaller guy, but he, you know, he, he, when they run the jet sweep, the alternative, I mean, the, the tricks to the whole play, what makes it work is James White is in the, he's behind quarterback, and he's ready to take an inside zone, and if a team's too strung out, uh, he's, re- he's ready to just kind of dart through a hole eight, nine yards. That makes that play work, and not so much Gordon, and obviously Gordon when he hits it big, but, you know, the indecision that throws that, you know, when you have both those backs out there, so it's a beautiful offense, and it's, it's an offense that, uh, you know, you look at Iowa, you look at Wisconsin, upper Midwest teams in the Big Ten, you really kind of, I mean, as Iowa people, as an Iowa, somebody who's covered Iowa for 15 years, you kind of have to admire the work that's been put in there, and the, the mechanism that is Wisconsin's offense, because it seems to restock, and there it is again, and again, and again. You mentioned them earlier, they have a solid quarterback, Marv Cook called him your classic Wisconsin game manager type quarterback, and sophomore Joel Stave, and then, of course, the terrific wide receiver and, and a senior Jared Aberderis. And what's amazing about that Wisconsin offense, especially with their run emphasis, they make very, very few turnovers the entire season, only two fumbles and six picks. Yeah, game manager. I don't really like that term for quarterbacks. I know it's kind of a debate term. Game managers, everybody's managing a game. Usually it's a quarterback who does. I think I would say, if you wanted to kind of throw that term around, I'd say Jake Rudock's a pretty good on-field game manager. I think there are probably different levels of it. Dave, I don't think he has much of a say in what's going on. He just kind of executes it, and uh, he's, he's okay. I mean, I think he, against Northwestern, got a really good look at him. I thought he was a bit inaccurate, uh, a little bit happy feet. Can I will put pressure on him? I think if I will put pressure on him, then uh, that kind of unplugs a lot of some of the things that they like to do. At Ohio State, Iowa didn't get much pressure on Braxton Miller. Uh, they wanted to kind of contain him, and so then he just kind of took a, he took a shotgun, took a couple steps, and then hit a lot of passes underneath. I don't know how many for sure, but Iowa ran a very loose quarters coverage against Ohio State, and uh, Braxton Miller did a ton of damage underneath. So I, I don't, I think Iowa corners, Iowa secondary uh, safeties will all be kind of up this week. I think uh, Sarans even talked about in the press conference. He thinks that uh, he said that uh, Christian Kirk should be playing on the line of scrimmage this week. Uh, he's usually been out more on a slot receiver. So I think Iowa, Iowa will be in place to kind of take that away. But if they get pressure on the quarterback, kind of all bets are off. And the one 
thing, you know, Ohio State held Wisconsin to 104 yards rushing. They did that by simple penetration and great linebacker play. Iowa is capable of that. Are they capable? Can, what can, if they, can they get uh, consistent penetration up front? That's going to be the key. One of the things that will be kind of fun to watch in this game in terms of Iowa's defense will be inside the red zone because this has been a strength of Wisconsin's offense. Iowa's defense has only allowed five red zone touchdowns. It's the fewest in the nation, but Wisconsin's already scored 23. Yeah, I would say part of that is Wisconsin competition. They did play Ohio State. They played them to a one-touchdown game at Columbus on on uh, prime time. And then uh, would you say their best win is probably Northwestern? Probably their best win, and Wisconsin was able to push Northwestern around. I mean, that's how that is. I think Wisconsin's been able to push around pretty much everybody on the schedule. I mean, Illinois, yeah, Illinois is not, not there yet, not ready. Uh, they need to go back to Mike Wright for a little while. So I think but, but what works in the red zone, in my in my opinion, is power football, power running back, like uh, an offense that can, that can uh, gain, you know, can just kind of impose its will and move the ball five yards at a crack and keep and keep the chains moving in the, within the 20-yard line. Or a quarterback with a really strong arm who can, uh, you know, separation is a very difficult thing when the, when the space closes down to just 20 yards. quarterback with a strong arm kind of opens that up and kind of uh, forces defense to play tighter coverage. I think right now it's pretty obvious what Wisconsin has in the red zone, and that's a big, strong running game. And uh, will that work against Iowa Saturday? You know, I think Iowa has gone toe-to-toe with some pretty good teams as far as running game goes. I would say, yeah, hung in there with Michigan State. Michigan State didn't get anything easy in the running game. I think Iowa is in the top 15 in the country as far as big plays against them in the running game. I, I want to say five 20-plus yard games. That's pretty good. I think that's really sort of the big the big thrust for Saturday for Iowa. Keep those down. And, uh, of course, in the in the red zone, if they, if they can get, if they can keep the running game in front of them, uh, that'll make that'll force Dave to make plays. And I'm not sure he's up to that. I think they'll probably be kicking a few field goals and don't ask me who their field goal kicker is. I don't know. <laughs> I don't either. I don't. They fired them. They fired their old guy in the, during the bye week. Uh, I'm not sure they do either. Well, you've already talked about Chris Borland, and he's another in this year in, in a series of these terrific Big Ten linebackers and kind of the key to their their defense out there. But Iowa's played one three four defense already this season. How will Iowa try to cope with that defensive scheme? Again, it's something they see very rarely. And might their, given the running struggles that, that the Hawkeyes seem to have recently, and especially in the second half, or like you said, Northwestern three quarters, how important will the tight ends be in this game? Well, if I'm, uh, I'm Iowa, and I know that Borland is gutting out on Thursday to see if he can play, I send tight ends right at him on the first play, and I try to get the quick game going, see what he has, see if he's able to drop in coverage, see if he's able to run a few steps with uh, a Fedorowicz or a Doozy. I think probably Fedorowicz more or less, because Fedorowicz is more of the more of the middle of the between, between the hashes sort of tight end. So I, I run right at him. I mean, I run right at him. Wisconsin does its uh, three four a little bit differently in that they will split out the end toward the tackles more, so they're a little bit more spread out. They let their linebackers do work, and they're and they're very good on the inside. I mean, they're they're, they're one thing about Barry Alvarez. You know, I, I talked about how he has his hands in the offense. You know, of course, he has his hands in defense too. But this is this is Gary Anderson's defense, and Dave Aranda is the coordinator, and they they were together out there at Utah State. This is their deal. This is kind of their baby. So they're putting a lot into it because you know, they have something to prove to their boss. I mean, they have to show Alvarez. So Wisconsin was always a four-three up until this year. Uh, they have to prove to Alvarez that it worked. So this is a big game in that regard. I think Wisconsin has personnel to throw punches, but uh, Iowa has shown that it, it can power with people with, uh, at the uh, line of scrimmage. And where that went last week, John, I don't know. I mean, 12 rushes for 65 yards on the first 
first drive, beautifully running into the boundary, making the game, making it a game of will and not faith. And uh, Iowa can win those games this week. I'm not sure. I think Wisconsin has just enough ham up front to kind of kind of push around with Iowa. One thing I think we can safely say, if you can safely say anything about this Iowa team, is that Jake Rudock has shown that he's not going to be in awe of this opponent, and that you would expect his poise under pressure to continue. Yeah, uh, I don't see why that would go anywhere. I mean, he's he started at Ohio State. He's playing Wisconsin at home. Wisconsin's a very good team. Rudock played in a place where it sounds like a plane landing every other day. At Iowa State, they played the music right up until uh, I think until they were breaking the huddle or when they were at built the line. Uh, there there have been some funny little tricks to kind of throw him off his game throughout the whole year. That's not happening. I mean, that's just not happening. If, there, if he makes a mistake, it's because he, he missed something or because he didn't see something. And those have been, uh, I think, if you look at how uh, Rudolph means, yes, I think he had eight or nine interceptions, but they're all kind of different, and they, and, and he never, you don't see him making the same mistake again. So that, to me, is probably his best trait. I mean, he, his brain and he, the way he looks at things, it, uh, it puts Iowa in a position to win. Can he make plays? Can he make the, the passes that he needs to make? I think so. I Earlier, you know, right off the bat with the, with the Northern Illinois pick, they lost the game. I thought, wow, well, man, this guy doesn't have the arm strength. Well, I think he's shown, and he's shown me anyway, that uh, yeah, he does have enough arm strength to make to make it in this league. And uh, one thing that I kind of liked in the passing game and is it's kind of kind of you know the wide receivers have gotten to two look look like they want to be reliable guys. And obviously, Kevontae Martin Manley very reliable. Kevon Smith looks like he wants to be be number two, and he kind of is right now, and that's okay. I mean, it's sophomore who's kind of arriving and, and making in some plays, and they need to keep uh, they need to keep growing that. But as far as Rudak goes, yeah, I think uh, he, he's never been stunned in anything. He's never been a deer in the headlights. I just don't think that's going to happen anywhere, anytime. All right, we're to the point where we ask about the keys to the game and the prediction. But before we do that, just any quick thoughts on who might pull out the victory in the Rusty Toolbox game? <laughs> You know, I don't know these guys as well as I used to, so uh, uh, probably Wisconsin, just knowing uh, stocks that that's made out of. Uh, you were talking about the game managers, or the managers of the teams, and uh, I think Wisconsin, I think they won it last time too, right? And they, they yeah, they got a, they have a two-game winning streak, but Iowa leads a series overall 11-6. Well, I think that'd be a fantastic uh, Big Ten sort of uh, journey type of deal. Yeah. All right, back to the real game played Saturday on the uh, field turf in Kinnick. Keith Shirai was off and try to get some rhythm and, and uh, plug in and hang in there and get some flow going. I, I think it boils down to pretty, a couple of pretty simple concepts for Iowa's offense and defense. Iowa's offense has to stay on the field. Iowa's defense has to get off the field. It's really pretty that pretty much that simple. Time of possess- Iowa in the last three games has been out time of possession. If I can use that word, uh, by a margin of 70 to 30 in, in the second half. So I think Ohio State, obviously, with, with the nadir of all that, they uh, 655 there. There's only been 10 minutes against Michigan State and only 13 something against Northwestern. You cannot play games and expect to win when you're getting uh, when you don't have the ball for more than 70 percent of the time in the second half. The fact that Iowa has even gone one and two in that stretch is pretty amazing because that is a losing number with a capital L. So they have to stay on the field. They have to. Stay Stain drives. I was often a few times. I mean, they stain drives a little bit better than you think. Last week, they just didn't score off of them. But but they they get they get kind of predictable after the first down run doesn't work. It's pass and things. You know, the defense knows what's coming. And all of a sudden, they're way behind the chains. And this this offense, one thing that it has not shown is that it's not great when when it's off schedule. That's why I thought the pass, the first pass in overtime to to Smith was so important because they got ahead of the chains and they were dealing a little bit. They they weren't able to hit that in the second half. So stay on the field. A deep on defense. 
fantastic at off the field. This game sets up for long Wisconsin drives with just enough pass. I think a lot like what Iowa did against Northwestern last week in the first drive. You know, 16 plays, 12 of them rushes. Iowa need to kind of, it, that that's fine. Iowa can live with that. You know, if they can hold, and they really can live with it if they hold them to three points. But that's going to be difficult with uh, Melvin Gordon, Steve, and, and the, some of the diversity of Wisconsin able to get out of Jared Abadaris. Who parents went crazy over this week. I was kind of surprised to see that, but uh, I went back and I watched some of the tape from or some of the game from uh, uh, Ohio State. He made a catch landed on his face, landing on his face, helicoptering. Uh, how, how can you not love that kid? Uh, that's that's fantastic. So get on the field, get on, stay on the field, get off the field, win game or lose game. Score thought? Man, I've been back and forth on this one. Uh, I, I was gone from not kicking any field goals. Uh, I think they'll score 28 points. It's a matter of can Iowa score 28 or 30. Right now, I'm at no, so I go 28-24 back. Over? Did you say over? Nothing is over until we decide it is. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no! German? Forget it, he's rolling. And it ain't over now. Now out of the shotgun. Under pressure to the end zone. Touchdown, Iowa. Fedorowicz. Rudock under pressure. And he finds a tight end in the end zone. Fourth touchdown this season for Fedorowicz. Big time play by the sophomore quarterback as he was under pressure. Iowa leads 17-10. You talk about big time play, smart play. Just a reminder that you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the news and events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. And you can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes, and you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. Also, be sure to check out all of the Hawkeye stories, features, and blogs in the Gazette, the Hawkeye, and the Quad City Times. Our thanks again to BTN for the game highlights this week, and thanks to Mark Morehouse. He does a great job covering the Hawkeyes, and it was nice to have him back on the show for a segment. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast. That you'll come back for more. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.